This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, wishing everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to be uh, joined in just a moment here by my co-host, fellow senior writer, uh, Dan Murphy, and we have got a lot to cover uh, coming off a big weekend in WWE with uh, Survivor Series and the NXT TakeOver special and uh, certainly uh, a newsworthy follow-up on Raw the day right after that. We're going to cover uh, all that. And then later in the show, I uh, got a really fun interview with Gary Morgenstein, who wrote for uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and its sister publications uh, kind of in the heyday of uh, the 70s and early 80s. Uh, he now works as a novelist, writes a lot of uh, uh, science fiction uh, books, uh, and also a playwright uh, for a lot of Broadway uh, or off-Broadway shows here in New York, and a really fun discussion kind of relating the two, uh, the the world of pro wrestling storytelling and the world of uh, fiction and um, theater storytelling and some things that they have in common, maybe a little bit about what one could learn from the other, and then just generally uh, remembering some, some stories of his days with uh, the magazines. And again, it was such a kind of uh, a glory period um, for, for wrestling journalism um, back then where the magazines held so much weight. Not that they don't do now, but obviously it was a different time uh, back then and always uh, a lot of fun reminiscing um, with some of these veterans, these, these legends of the wrestling magazine business. And um, you'll be able to hear that in just a moment. Uh, first, I want to tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, which I have in my hand, just dropped in my mailbox uh, a couple of days ago. If you're a subscriber, you've got yours. It is the February 2018 issue with Braun Strowman uh, on the cover. Inside, we've got my hot seat interview uh, with Braun, conducted uh, the day after his Universal Title Challenge uh, against Brock Lesnar. And uh, there's just a whole lot of fun stuff here in this magazine. I will quickly go through the uh, the table of contents. Um, again, the Braun Strowman hot seat interview. Uh, also, we got a feature on Neville, whether he is uh, answering the question, whether he's the, cru- the greatest cruiserweight uh, ever. Uh, an interview I conducted with uh, Dalton Castle, no relation. I think we're going to have some audio from that interview here in the coming weeks. Um, a, a feature on uh, Jinder Mahal, now the former WWE champion, and kind of comparing him to other wrestlers who really rose from relative obscurity uh, to to be a top guy. Uh, that said, I remember, you know, the, the uh, uh, Stu Sachs asked for some input for the writers uh, on, on cases like uh, genders, and really it was hard for any of us to come up with something that was uh, exactly uh, or, or even close to the same. You know, gender story uh, really is uh, fascinating. Uh, but, but there's some other guys here that um, I, th- I think are as close uh, as you could get to comparisons uh, to his situation. Uh, we've got the PWI Achievement Award uh, ballot here, so uh, a look at some top contenders, and, and you can fill out, cut out the uh, ballot, send it over to the magazine. That's our, our next really big issue covering uh, the year Achievement Awards. And then I'll be talking to Dan just uh, in a minute about it, uh, the 10th annual PWI Female 50, which is sort of the female counterpart to the PWI 500. Uh, it's been a busy week for, for or busy few days for women's wrestling, lots of news coming out. Um, and so we, I talk uh, to Dan about that and also kind of uh, uh, talking about how it relates to the female 50 uh, here in just a moment. So uh, what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com, and you can either uh, pick up this issue by itself or subscribe, and certainly we encourage subscribing. Uh, you get deeper savings. The longer you subscribe, the deeper the savings. You get half off the newsstand price. Um, and whether you want the print edition or the the print edition or the digital edition, the digital edition, uh, you could get a few weeks uh, faster. You would have already been through this issue a couple of weeks ago if you got the digital uh, edition. Um, and also, it's customized for your uh, mobile device. Um, and you know, to to take advantage of these rates before uh, they expire, uh, you'd really want to uh, get online and do it before December thirty first uh, to take advantage of those rates. Um, and uh, again, the thing to do is to go to pwi-online.com uh, while you've got the computer on. Uh, please uh, follow us on Facebook at Official PWI. I had fun uh, 
um, live tweeting the pay-per-view this past week, as I do most pay-per-views. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Send us an email here, pwipodcast at outlook.com. Uh, and please uh, leave us a nice review on iTunes. All right, joined now by Dan Murphy, my co-host. How are you, Dan? I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I'm a little bit tired. Been uh, hitting the road, doing a lot of traveling on the uh, Dan Murphy Over America Sisterhood of the Squared Circle book tour. <laughs> but uh, you managed to catch me on the phone, and uh, let's dive into another podcast. Well, how is that going while uh, we're talking on it? Um, obviously, women's wrestling has been in the news a lot, and you've got uh, the Female 50 just dropped. And uh, some some news out of WWE, uh, certainly on the women's front with the 10-woman elimination match on Sunday and then the return of uh, Paige on Monday night and Mandy Rose and uh, the other woman who, forgive me, <laughs> whose name I forget. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> things are happening. Yeah, things are definitely happening. Yeah, I was out at Shimmer in Chicago, well, Rise on uh, Friday night, and then Shimmer weekend, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Uh, new Rise champion, Delilah Doom, won the title from uh, Shotzi Blackheart in an elimination match. Uh, then what else do we have? The new Shimmer tag team champions with Delilah Doom again, and uh, teaming with Leva Bates to win the tag team titles from Vanessa Craven and Tessa Blanchard. Speaking of which, Tessa Blanchard, very outspoken about... Uh, not being happy with her ranking in the female 50. Oh, yeah. uh, so I had a, a little bit of heat with some people backstage, shall we say. Um, but nothing, nothing too bad, nothing uh, out of the usual. And, uh, you know, selling the books. Uh, oh, and Nicole Savoy winning the Shimmer Championship from Mercedes Martinez. Uh, and the really great thing about it was uh, Aja Kong um, for Rise, the Kevin Harvey runs. Uh, it, it's really focused on kind of building women up and taking them to the next level. And he brought in uh, Medusa and Aja Kong from Japan for some seminars. And uh, Aja Kong had a couple great matches, including a, a classic against Mia Yim, which was amazing to see live and in person and in such a small venue. So a yeah. uh, great time there in Chicago, uh, planning a trip to Connecticut in about a week or so, uh, then up to Toronto and seeing what I can do to uh, keep shilling books and covering the, the beat. <laughs> and I was, as you were talking, just flipping t- uh, to the female 50, and, uh, yeah, uh, I guess Tessa is in the 40s. But it speaks to, and we've talked about this, uh, how you could really use at least another 50 slots uh, or more. You know, a lot of these women we were talking about, uh, Sonia DeVille is, is the woman whose name escaped me. I was looking for yeah. her ranking in there, and I guess she didn't make it either, right? Nope, nope, she did not. Yeah, nor is yeah. Mandy Rose I mean, in there? Nope. Yeah, yeah, I mean... And neither is uh, uh, Peyton Royce. Again, who was in the four-way match? She's not in there, and it's not by omission. It's, oh, it's, it's a not good list. Yeah, no, it's a good list. Yeah, I look it, at it, and, and it's, it, it's hard to make a case for for bumping anybody that you included in there. Exactly, and especially this year, including some more of the international talents. So we had to, uh, you know, make room for them from you know uh, Arisa Sarah from Ice Ribbon, I believe, um, the, the girls from Stardom. So yeah, it, it's the most in-depth and comprehensive female fifty we've done to date. Yeah, yeah. Well, while we're on the uh, the subject, what do you think about uh, Ember Ember Moon winning the NXT title on Saturday night? I I think it was kind of a foregone conclusion. I mean, I expected Ember to win that title six months ago. Um, I don't know. I mean, the injury that Asuka had um, maybe curtailed plans. Maybe the plan all along was to keep Asuka undefeated. But I think that hurt Ember Moon because yeah, uh, she really would have benefited from that big win over over Asuka. And now she kind of starts in a bit of a hole. And, uh, again, the title was vacant for so long that I think they lost a lot of momentum there that they could have captured. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Asuka came at the end of the match to hand her the title. And even some folks had some mixed feelings about that because it was almost a reminder that, yeah, you couldn't beat this woman. Uh, And it kind of reminds me, for for folks who follow UFC, uh, of Daniel Cormier, who is the, the reigning light heavyweight champion and a lot of people feel the second best light heavyweight in the history uh, of UFC. But the fact is, he never beat John Jones for the title. And um, the the two occasions where they fought, John Jones won both times, including um, earlier this year. The the uh, the result had to be overturned because John Jones got 
uh, popped for for using steroids, but it's still always kind of hanging out there that that you know you never really beat the guy, and it feels a little bit that way with Ember Moon. It's almost like the de facto best uh, woman uh, on NXT. All that said, I think it's great that they never beat Asuka. I, I like the idea of her coming over to the main roster with this incredible streak and, and just this kind of aura of uh, invincibility. Uh, so when and if somebody finally does top or, topple her, it's going to be a big deal. True, true. But again, it, it didn't do any favors for Ember Moon, no. uh, like I said. So, But Asuka, and again, with Asuka, I just wish that they had done a little bit more to... Uh, uh, she she should be a champion by now, I think. Um, instead of you know, uh, just she should be the focal point of the, the division is what I, I mean. Um, and I think that she lost a little bit in the transition from NXT to uh, to the main roster. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, this past Monday night felt like kind of a, a reboot, and we're talking before SmackDown airs on Tuesday night. Uh, but it does seem like. It's sort of the earliest steps being taken on this, you know, the proverbial road to WrestleMania and some things that happened um, over the last couple of days maybe give you an idea of where they're going. And Asuka does seem to kind of figure into those plans uh, somehow. So I'd certainly expect for her to be involved in the Raw Women's um, Championship match at WrestleMania, whether she is challenging or defending um, who knows? Uh, but, but getting a little ahead of ourselves, let's take a step back and talk about uh, Survivor Series as a whole. Uh, kind of a mixed bag. There were some things uh, to like. There were uh, some things that I think a lot of people were disappointed in. Um, why don't we start with the main event, the 10-man uh, men's elimination match. A lot of people took issue with the whole kind. I think we talked about it here, kind of this contrived notion of uh, you know brand warfare all that said, I got to admit to kind of gotten gotten into it um, in, in the course of the night and kind of keeping tabs what brand was up. Uh, I wish that there were some real stakes behind it beyond just bragging rights. Um, Brian Alvarez at, at The Observer uh, made the suggestion of having the winning brand draw uh, Royal Rumble spots from 15 to 30, which I think is a great idea because that's something tangible that everybody would have an interest uh, in in fighting for. Um, but as it is, it's sort of like, all right, so Raw wins, and so what, you know? Um, but the match itself, I was really excited about it going in. I mean, you look at the talent um, in, in that match beyond loaded. I mean, when you're talking John Cena, uh, Randy Orton, Nakamura, Bobby Roode, Triple H, Kurt Angle, um, and, and on and on, Braun Strowman, uh, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor, a super, super loaded uh, match. Kind of like, how could this possibly go wrong? And it's not that it was a disaster, but, um, you know, they, they did some things that I just, uh, they were really hard to comprehend. I mean, they were in some ways the worst possible moves. I mean, um, and I think they really kind of set the tone by having Nakamura eliminated first, and then... Yeah. Three of the last four guys uh, in the match, which, again, featured so, such great uh, uh, young talent, and, and not necessarily young, but but new talent at WWE, kind of the future of WWE, and, and maybe the present of WWE, and three of the last four guys were Kurt Angle, Triple H, and Shane McMahon, and um, really, they they dominated the, the last, the closing minutes of the match. Braun Strowman didn't factor in that much until after the match. Uh, but you talk about just sort of, you know, tone deaf. Um, uh, and I really think that that kind of killed the match, uh, really made for kind of a flat ending. Uh, so what do you think? No, I, I think the exact same thing. Um, now, I understand kind of why it was done was, was equal parts hubris and building towards something bigger, I think. McMahon's um, Vince has always had this way of making a show about himself or making a show uh, again, it goes back to the one WrestleMania where it was a four corners match was the main event. Yeah. And they had a McMahon in each four corner. And the story wasn't so much the four participants in the match who I think might've been triple H, big show, Mick Foley. And I don't maybe Steve Austin. No, uh, the, uh, fact the that rock. Not Steve Austin, Kurt the Angle. Rock. The rock. No, okay. Rock. But the fact that I couldn't even remember <laughs> that the focus is more on the McMahons than the, the guys in the ring. Um, and I think that was the case here, the, you know, more focus on Shane, more focus on Triple H, 
Uh, the bigger story that I think that they're going to try to tell is, you know, either Strowman against Triple H at WrestleMania or at the Rumble, leading to Strowman against Lesnar at WrestleMania, um, or Strowman going from this to win WrestleMania and then get a title shot. Right, really? um, but yeah, I, I think that that's where they're looking to go and having Braun be, uh, you know, getting the rub from being out there with Triple H and Shane and, and everything at the end of that, that show and outlasting Angle and, and Cena and Nakamura and, and everybody else. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, they lost the undertaker. Um, you know, the, Cena is part time. Uh, WWE is really looking to go back to the big man well and, and find a superstar. And I think that they're just smitten with Brock or with Braun, and uh, and he's the guy right now. Uh, yeah. As for the, uh, again, I agree that I didn't think that there were any, there was anything at stake at all during the show. Uh, the main titles weren't on the line. It didn't matter if AJ Styles got pinned or not. Um, it, it really kind of made me feel like uh, like those old seventies or early eighties like. Uh, Battle of the Network Stars. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you've got Gabe Kaplan and you've got Captain <laughs> Steubing from Love Boat. And you never see those guys on the same show, so it's kind of interesting, but nobody cares who wins. There's, it, it doesn't matter. It, in a week later, everybody's forgotten about it. And I think that's my entire thought about Survivor Series as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I think it's easy enough to, to make it... Uh, make fans more invested. It, it's just about creating some real stakes. Again, that Rumble idea, I think, is as good as any, but it doesn't have to be the only one. I mean, even something like, I don't know, money, you know, some some kind of uh, cash prize on the line for the winning team, or uh, uh, draft picks or something like that, you know, they get the first draft pick or the first several draft picks next time they do a draft. Uh, ju just something to, to make you believe that um, these wrestlers would have some kind of interest in their brand because it's all so kind of like uh, random, right? I mean, some of these guys were on the Raw brand just a few months ago, then they move over to SmackDown, and all of a sudden they bleed blue, whatever that means. I mean, it, it really feels kind of uh, a trivial. Um, but all that said, I, I, I was surprised to, to hear that you think that Strowman is moving toward a, a Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania. The, the talk is still... Uh, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Now, Roman Reigns winning the, the Intercontinental title last night makes you wonder if maybe they're backing off a little bit. Um, but who knows? I mean, there's plenty of time between now and, and Mania. Everything is still pointing at Roman Reigns being um, their guy. And uh, the other talk, I guess, is Triple H and Kurt Angle at WrestleMania, uh, the latest kind of old-timers match. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not super excited to see that. Uh, and... It's just strange. I'm all for Triple H, you know, being back, working. He's working that match with Jinder Mahal in India, which I think is a terrific use of, of both of them, uh, especially if, if Jinder goes over, which I would assume that he would. Uh, but who knows? But but that's the kind of thing I'd like to see Triple H doing. Um, and, and to some extent, Kurt Angle as well. So you get two of these sort of old-timers working with each other. Uh, I, I get the cachet of the two legends working together, but I don't think either one of them carries enough weight on their own to carry that kind of match. I mean, I I, I don't know. Yeah, it, Frankly, neither it, one it, is The be, Rock or Steve Austin, you know. Right, and I think what you'd find then is, again, the Triple H smoke and mirrors match, where, okay, we're going to fight outside the ring, we're going to go through tables, we're going to do whatever, and I, I mean, I, I'd love to see, again, there's other reasons why this can't happen, but you know, uh, if Angle's going to do a match at WrestleMania, him against Daniel Bryan. And obviously, Daniel Bryan's got his own injury issues, but somebody like that. Yeah. Now, the flip side of that is Kurt Angle is, what, pushing 50, has a questionable neck. Um, so I understand being careful with who you match him with. And, and I think they've done, in the two matches that he's had, they've done a good job of kind of protecting him. In, in the first match, in a whatever that was, an eight-man match, and here in a ten-man match. So where you use them, it's sort of, um, you're very careful, very kind of sporadic. Uh, a, a match with a Daniel Bryan, and I don't know if and when Daniel Bryan will wrestle again, uh, you'd think that would be a very, I mean, it's a dream match, but there are logistical reasons no, why it, maybe you can't do it. it. It doesn't have to be, though, because a match like that doesn't have to be a, particularly intense, hard-hitting match. 
That can be a match that's where what you do a see. lot of submission work, a lot of yeah. rest work, not high angle bumps, things like that, and still tell that story and, and still protect the neck. Right. Um, whereas I don't think that you can do that same type of match with a guy like Triple H. You could do a very safe match with Triple H, but I don't know if it's going to be a very exciting match, you know. Uh, right. No, that is true. Yeah. Um, the, the other big match of the night and a match I very much enjoyed was, uh, you mentioned it, AJ Styles and, and Brock Lesnar, no title on the line, but I do think among, uh, kind of the diehards, it was probably the most, uh, anticipated match of the night. And there was a lot of curiosity about how these two would work together. I mean, they're, they're both absolutely elite, but also very, very different in what they do. Um, and a lot of people thought that AJ could get as good a match out of Brock as anyone, and I think he did. I love this match. Um, I, I really, really did. Uh, it wasn't super long. I mean, it's not a five-star match or anything like that, but for the, the kind of match you would expect out of these two, it absolutely delivered. It looked like a fight. Brock was just beating the holy hell out of uh, AJ Styles. I love stuff like when um, the, the spot where uh, AJ had him in the calf crusher, and Brock is selling it like crazy, and then just grabs his head and bounces it off the mat about a half a dozen times. <laughs> it was such brutality, uh, and it was just fantastic. I, I, I really, I thought this was tremendous. I thought both guys came out of it looking really, really good. Yeah, I agree. And it's one of those few matches that really is uh, still a dream match in wrestling. You know, it hadn't happened before. It hadn't happened. Uh, I don't think it had ever happened as a singles match, uh, but it certainly didn't happen on a pay-per-view main event, uh, some kind of stage like that especially with both of them being respective world champions. Um, so, no, it, it was good. And, and like you said, both guys look good coming out of it. And it would be I'm kind of curious to see how it might do in the uh, match of the year voting. I, I don't think it might win necessarily that. But when you look at you know two reigning world champions having a really solid match right during the voting period for the PWI year-end awards, um, first runner-up, second runner-up may not be uh, that far-fetched. It's really been slim, slim pickings this year for WWE matches. I mean, we've for seen WWE, some, yes. yeah, we've seen some all-time great matches, uh, certainly out of New Japan. But you've got to go back to maybe January, um, the the first major event, the Royal Rumble with John Cena and AJ Styles, for the last WWE match that I think approached sort of match of the year uh, potential. I mean, there have been good matches uh, along the year, lots of them, but but something that reaches that ne next level, it has not been a great year um, in terms of work no. rate for WWE. No, I, I, well, I, you know, in terms of work rate, I mean, put it this way, I don't think there's been any stinker cards. I mean, I don't think there's mm. been a, um, you know, there were times back, even during the Monday Night Era, where you could watch an entire episode of Nitro or Thunder or, or even Raw and just be like, wow, like this is, this is kind of bad. I mean, the personalities are bigger than life, but uh, you, what I guess I'm saying is your average show, whether it's Raw or SmackDown or Impact or 205 Live or anything, the work rate is consistently higher than it's ever been. It's, it's better than it's ever been. It's yeah. just that there's very few matches that have kind of gone above and beyond that point. The big uh, matches. the rest of the field, yeah, the yeah. rest of the field has steadily improved the way it has. Yeah, yeah. And you think of the, the real big shows of the year where you're more likely to get those epic matches. Uh, Royal Rumble delivered, for sure, with John Cena and um, AJ Styles. WrestleMania very much did not. I thought in, in terms of um, ring work, it was very much kind of a disappointment. The best match of the show might have been AJ Styles and Shane McMahon at WrestleMania. SummerSlam had a heck of a main event, um, that, that five-way, uh, but, but kind of, I don't want to say forgettable, but it was a big spectacle, but not a big grudge, because inevitably you got five guys. Um, they're, they're, the storyline could only be so strong. Uh, and then Survivor Series, I think, did deliver again with AJ Styles and, and Brock. But along the way, I mean, the other sort of WWE match, I don't even know if it really qualifies, the, the um, uh, some of the, the UK championship matches with uh, Tyler Bate and uh, what's his True. name? Uh, the, the Bruiserweight. Uh, those were fantastic. Beat done? Yeah, yeah. They had, well, the, the finale at the tournament was great. And then the match where uh, Dunn won the title was uh, fantastic. Uh, but how many people saw it? And and that's the case with, with NXT um, uh, overall, and maybe that's a good transition uh, here for the other big show of the weekend, The Takeover Show. Another fantastic, fantastic show. The Takeovers never uh, disappoint. 
but yeah, you wonder how many people really were watching. What was uh, your take on the big War Games match? It was interesting seeing it um, resurrected. I mean, I always loved the War Games matches when Jim Crockett Promotions was doing them, uh, more so for the hype than anything else. Because if you really look back, a lot of those War Games matches weren't that good. No, you know, it was just kind of guys. In fact, in I the think ring, most you know, of them were were pretty bad. I mean, certainly, yeah. the the latter half, the earlier War Games, I think people remember fondly. There was the um, the '91 uh, War Games where Pillman messed up his shoulder with the Horsemen and uh, Sting's group. That I was guess. pretty good. And then the one after El that, Gigante was in that, wasn't yes, he? Yes, yeah. And then the one after that yeah. was my favorite War Games with the uh, the Dangerous Alliance. Um, and I forget what the other, it was Sting Squadron and the Dangerous Alliance. Yeah. And, uh, it was wild. I remember somebody's head, might've been Steve Austin's, uh, stuck between, stuck between the two, the two rings. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. I, I think that uh, between the two rings, between yeah. the two mats. I think that Barry Windham did that first around 87. Yeah. Uh, because I remember the 87 ones being the, because they did it for a whole series of matches throughout the, maybe the Great American Bash, I think. And yeah. um, what they did with those is they had to have J.J. Dillon fill out the Four Horsemen squad because somebody couldn't compete. And, and in the end, it was always somebody making J.J. Dillon. Submit, yeah, you know. Right. But, uh, again, it was, you know, that was Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors and, and I think Nikita Koloff against the Horsemen. Um, and it was just – it. what was so cool about it was these are all the guys who are having the top rivalries – as either singles or tags or whatever it is, and War Games was the culmination of that rivalry. Uh, for this, it was let's just put three random teams in there and just you know yeah. have it all hash out. I don't totally so, agree you know, with that, and and I didn't follow it that closely uh, in the weeks leading up to it. I was at the takeover in Brooklyn, uh, which kind of laid the foundation of of the three way feud when um, Sanity. Uh, beat God, I can't remember these guys. What is it, the Authors of Pain uh, for the tag title, and then um, Fish and O'Reilly did the run-in. So that was, I guess, the earliest seeds of this three-way feud. But I do think that you know, was it the hottest feud of the year? Red hot, intense blood feud? No, but I think uh, it was a strong enough feud, and I think the format did basically work. I know there were some people who had some issues with them kind of moving away too much with with the um the original format of the war games the match was fine it, it was it was a lot of fun really good i do think uh if i have a criticism and i know they're defensive about it but did the match work under the new rules sure but that said there really wasn't any reason to get away from the old rules you know there was i didn't think there was anything about this match um that would have been would have suffered that much if you know you put a, a a roof on the cage you know there was i think one spot that wasn't even all that great a spot that w you wouldn't have been able to do uh but that but it, i i gotta admit I, you know i don't want to be the the curmudgeon -y, you know old wrestling fan but it did irk me <laughs> no, throughout the job. whole match that's i, was like, oh, I want a cage i want a roof on that cage it just doesn't look right without the roof <laughs> and um i i also missed the surrender submit uh, which I think brought it to the next level of intensity. It's not enough to pin a guy. You, you've got to make him squeam, you know, squeal. He's got to quit. Uh, and they certainly could have done that here. You know, they could have had somebody or, or pass out or whatever. So, you know, sometimes it feels like WWE changed these things almost out of spite, you know, just to, just to yeah, say they did. Just you to know? throw their print on it and, and just to change it. And, hey, it's not Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett didn't come up with this. We yeah. have, you know, we made it this way. Yeah, and what, again, they could argue that they were able to do more stuff off the top of the cage without having the roof there. But I don't know. I would have, I would have rather seen the roof there and done one less spot off of the top of the cage. Uh, it would have been fine. Um, the other real surprise over the night was uh, Andrade seeing Almas winning the NXT title from Drew McIntyre. I don't think anybody called that. Um, and not totally clear to me, maybe to you, uh, how much of it was kind of uh, called as an audible. You know, the word is Drew McIntyre got uh, hurt in the course of a match, might have torn his triceps uh, or his biceps. I'm not sure which. Um but my my sense was that actually it was planned all along uh, for for seeing almost to to win the title. Maybe the the plan was to put it right back on Drew uh, McIntyre uh, not long after that. Uh, but 
frankly, I was really happy to, to, to see it. I, I am not that I, I don't like the guy, but I am not as big on the Drew McIntyre bandwagon as everybody else. Uh, he he's one of these guys that checks off every box on the list, you know, um, but I don't know. The whole package, I think he's very, very good. I don't see him as a top, top, top guy. Um, and Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. Yeah, when, when I, Bobby Roode lost the title to him, I was a little, meh, you know. Again, he, he, he feels like, you know, he's got the resume of an NXT champion, but I don't know. I mean, I, I on, on a kind of a gut level, I don't feel it. And I kind of feel it more with Sting Almas, who I think uh, has come so so far, you know, when he first came in and he had the, um, the a lot of hype from, from Mexico, from his previous career. And coming over here, I think the thought was a little bit of a letdown. He was sort of miscast as the beginning. Uh, but now the whole act that he's got going, uh, I think, is fantastic. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, again, like you, I didn't expect uh, almost to, to, to win the title. Um, I liked his work with La Sombra. The, the, what he did prior to joining WWE was really exciting. Even the stuff he did, did in uh, Japan um, was was really very cool. Um, and again, he did kind of go through a little bit of a, uh, a lull during the transition period in NXT. Um, like you said with Drew, McIntyre has the, uh, he has got the look. Um, he's got a, a fan base, but I just don't see him at the level that uh, a lot of other people do. Uh, for me, uh, I think he's fairly generic, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't do a lot for me. Um, the thing that's interesting, I think, is we had this era of the NXT champion being somebody that you look at and think, wow, man, uh, that guy can really, once he gets called up to the main roster, it's going to be huge. You know, Kevin Owens, um, Nakamura, um, guys who you looked at is Samoa Joe, uh, Finn Balor, uh, guys who you look at and think these guys are the future. These guys are great. And I think a lot of that mystique has kind of fallen off. Uh, Bobby Roode again. Yeah. There was definitely I kind of a notch he, down. Yeah. Yeah. And then McIntyre, I think is a notch below that. Yeah. And, 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 uh, almost is, is a little bit of a notch below that, but is climbing. Yeah, I so, think that's the difference with with all those guys. Is the the trajectory is on its way up with uh, Sinalmus. I think there there's still more of an upside that we haven't seen. Where I think with Rude and with McIntyre, I think we knew what the upside um, is. And you know, in in Rude's case, I think even more so, it's pretty high. But I don't see Rude as you know, could he headline WWE pay-per-view? Could you even put the world title on him? I suppose. But uh, I don't see him as a, a huge, huge act. Uh, a, a lot of it, whether people would want to you know, admit this or not, is the entrance, is the gimmick. It's a oh, very good gimmick. Um, yeah. You know, my, my eight-year-old loves it. But then you've seen it, you know, and and then what is there? And he's, he's terrific. I mean, I, it's, it's not a put-down of him, but... Uh, right. When you talk Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, uh, uh, Nakamura, Kevin Owens, um, you were talking potential WrestleMania Next, headliner, yeah. you know, and next and, level yeah. world class elite competitors. And again, uh, Rude may fall into that category, but he just doesn't have that larger than life persona no. outside of that entrance. And McIntyre, and the other one's certainly going either. McIntyre deserves all the credit in, in the world. You know, he was let go a few years ago, part of 3MB. And I remember talking to him, and he was so uh, uh, dedicated, committed, sort of, you know, I'm going to kind of stick it to them. I'm going to prove that I was every uh, bit as good as, as, you know, I thought I was and and belong there. And really, over the next several years, created his own hype, you know, working all over the place, really putting a terrific body of work together, um, improving his, his look, his act, his physique his ring work, and then working his way all the way back to, to WWE. And uh, he does belong in WWE, and uh, uh, I think he's terrific. But I don't know. Maybe it's just sort of finding the right character. Um, I always thought he was a little bit better as a heel. Uh, so we'll see. Um, and what else was on this card? Just a really good card, you know. That, and the best thing about these takeovers is that they are two hours, you know. Uh, and at the end of two hours, 
you know, it just it feels like the perfect meal. You know, you're you're very hungry. You sit down for a big steak, and with that last piece of steak you put in your mouth, you're full. You know, and that's it. And and it just perfectly satisfying, uh, which is is like the antithesis of the way WWE does its uh, all of its pay per views these days, and certainly the big ones. You know, Survivor Series. Star Series, I think <clears throat> the pre-show and the first matches started at 6, 5.30, something like that. And it was on, yeah. uh, well, you know, I think until 11. And, and WrestleMania is even worse these days. Uh, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. WrestleMania, is a, it's just an all-day event. Uh, it's, it's craziness. And the thing is, I, I mean, again, it's, WWE doesn't need to do that because they're not relying on pay-per-view. They're relying on the network. And the network is, you know adding extra content at no additional cost doesn't really help anybody. You know, maybe it's for the DVD sales, maybe it's for whatever, just to get everybody on the show, but it, it certainly burns out the audience for these long events like this. And especially if you're going to have a Survivor Series finish like that, where there's a double turn by Triple H uh, against, you know, Kurt Angle and, and Shane McMahon is one of the last survivors until the end. Uh, I mean, that's going to be kind of a flat finish regardless, but after a six-and-a-half-hour lead-up, it's, it's, it's definitely not, their, not the smartest uh, road to take to get to that outcome. Yeah. yeah. All right, I think we've covered it pretty well here. Uh, thank you, Dan. So uh, let's Thanks. hear it from uh, the guy who Stu Sachs calls Morgie, Gary Morgensen. Well, thanks again so much for, for doing this. Stu, um, uh, recommend talking to you, and I thought it was a great idea. And you're uh, a Newsday guy, a Newsday alum? Yes, yeah, back in the day, high school sports. Yeah, great. And that's where uh, you met Stu, right? He said that, uh, I guess that, that, yes. that was his entree yes. into the wrestling magazine business. Yes, so I, I met Stu and I, um, he was a few years, I was a few years ahead of him at Stony Brook, and then we worked together, excuse <clears throat> me, covering high school sports, and then I went to GC London, um, that was the name of the company at the time, for um, the wrestling magazines, and then there was an opening, and I said, well, it's got to be Stu. <laughs> yeah. Wrestling. Yeah. So yeah, he told me uh, we were exchanging emails, and he said most people assume that he ended up in the wrestling magazine business because he was a fan, and, and obviously it had something to do with it. But but he very much credits you for for bringing him, or blames you maybe <laughs> for, yeah. for bringing him the wrestling magazine business. <laughs> Yeah, great. Yeah. He's, he's and he's been happy. He's never looked back, which is wonderful. Yeah, and I I think he's um I think he doesn't realize his his importance and his place in the business. I mean, I, I tell people I work for Stu Sachs and, you know, jaws dropped that, you know, that, that name is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, revered in, in the wrestling yeah. business, you know. After like Bill Lapter. Yeah. old friend of mine. I love Bill. Again, the same thing. Yeah. People yeah. still, you know, remember, you talk to fans and they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember, to me, they'll say, I remember your column and certainly Matt Brock. Mm-hmm. I was one of the earliest Matt Brocks. Yes, I get to be Matt Brock once. And it was uh, one of the great deals yes. of, of my career. So, um, uh, oh, anyway, Matt. Okay. Yeah, just once. And and you're, <laughs> you're, you're aware, I think, as you told you that sort of, you know, we we, we came out of the closet, for lack of a better word, uh, a few yes. months ago, and, and kind of publicly acknowledged that some of this was so, um, You know, it, it, I, I always uh, think it's great to, to catch up with old writers for the magazines um, that we haven't done it for a while. So. Just hoping to talk to you a bit about, and also I know you've got um, this this new play, Saving Stan, um, and want to talk to you a bit about that. Uh, so, why don't I begin by by asking you about your time with um, uh, the wrestling magazines? Uh, as I hear it, unlike Stu, unlike me, you are not a fan, right? No, it was funny because um, <clears throat> I I just I've been working um, for about six seven months at the Cincinnati Post covering sports. Um, I followed this girl to Ohio, and that's one thing. Don't follow girls. Don't, <laughs> or, you know, that'll get you in trouble. Sooner or later, it's going to blow up in your face, and eventually it did. So I came back, and I saw, um, geez, I just think there was an ad in the newspaper, I seem to recall. And I applied, and I remember filling out, um, doing a sample story. Now, I, when I watched wrestling as a kid. I wasn't a big fan, but certainly much like Stu or Bill After, but I was aware of wrestling. But when I did these sample um, articles, I was still putting in the, the wrestler's age. <laughs> yeah. And making it up. And, That's um, funny. <laughs> yeah, Very yeah. Yeah. Newsday and, thing to do. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I did it great. I did it like it. I was a journalist. 
And I think that's one of the keys to what we did is we played it straight. Mm-hmm. We did not really camp it up. It was very matter of fact. It was very much a real magazine in terms of um, <clears throat> the journalistic quality that we put into it, in terms of the quality of the writing, in terms of the coverage, in terms of the layout, in terms certainly of um, Bill Apter's wonderful photographs. And I think that's why they were successful and why, for example, someone like Stu, who has a background, um, was a journalist, wasn't as a journalist. Uh, and a lot of us um, were journalists who came, um, you certainly, you know, obviously, with, with that attitude. So yeah. we didn't ever make fun of this. We did tongue-in-cheek, of course. But the one thing we never, ever did is make fun of the fans for loving mm-hmm. the sport. We treated yeah. them with respect, and I think that is that's the key right there. It, and that's why it's it's the magazines have them do it because we never looked down on them. We said, "Oh, yeah, you're idiots for believing this, for watching this, or loving this." We never ever did that, and um, but it was fun to have um, you know all different old egos. Matt Brock, I could be like an old drunk. <laughs> and, um, you know, and pretty much say and be grumbly and early and stally. And, um, and, but it was, I, I, I love the way we used to do the stories, for example. Uh, we'd get the packet of photographs, either it would be Bill's photographs, or we, um, we had springers around the world. So we'd get photographs from Japan. So it would be Andre the Giant matching Tokyo. So we'd sit around, uh, back then it was, um, I worked with Lee, Bill, um, and before Stu, there was Peter King, Randy mm-hmm. Gordon, um, who did the boxing and some wrestling, he had a wrestling column, and Steve Farhood, um, who later became, you know, well-known uh, Showtime boxing analyst, mm-hmm. and um, but Steve also had a wrestling column. And we'd sit around the desk, and we'd start with the headline for the, whichever photos we chose. So say it would be the secret agony of Andre the Giant. That would be whatever the photo, that would be the headline. Then I would go back to the desk and I'd write like a three-page story about the secret agony of Andre the Giant, whatever that I came up with. And it, it, you know, it could be that he was dealing with the loss of his uncle, or <laughs> yeah, or whatever, or some fear. And the beauty of it is we could pretty much say whatever we wanted, as long as we did not um, violate the um, what was going on in the ring. For example, we, we rule breakers were rule breakers. Good guys were good guys. And we had to follow their storyline and we embellished it. I think the only time we got in trouble was Dan Shockett, who, um, the late Dan Shockett, who's now mm-hmm. went to that great square circle in the sky. Um, <laughs> Dan wrote a story about Bruno San Martino. I think he was fighting Fritz von Erich, who was, you know, like kind of a Nazi. I mean, just think about it then. <laughs> <laughs> what you can get away with. Anyway, and and according to Dan's story, Bruno had a grudge against the Germans because um, the Nazis had raped his sister back in Italy during the war. Gosh. And, <laughs> yeah, that, that might have been over the line. And Bruno called, screaming that, you know, that guy knew I don't even have a sister. <laughs> <laughs> very, very angry. But, but again, we play along. Uh, there was a time Bruno went in for a hair transplant and we did a whole photo shoot of him supposedly um, being injured in the ring and wearing a necklace. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could just get away with stuff. It's the only place... I, I, I remember the first... I was always a little mystified by it. I remember someone, one of the wrestlers writing me, uh, dropping me a, a letter back in the days when there was mail, no email. There was mm-hmm. a world before then, as we remember. And he, I, he thanked me for calling him an SOB in an article because that played into the fact that he was a bad guy. Yeah. And it, it was a fun, it was, we were all in our 20s. I think Phil might have been, Phil was a little old. He was in his early 30s, but all of us were in our 20s. Um, we used to have like wrestling, you know, we had the, the wrestling belt, who was the champion. Uh, we just had a, a good time. It was just a lot of fun and it was just great memories. This is uh, late 70s, early 80s, right? Is yeah. time with magazines. Uh, so, so that really was kind of like the heyday of the magazines, where they really carried some weight, some, some juice. And it's fascinating hearing you talk about this, because 
the, the, the wrestling business was so kind of insular and protected um, back then that uh, unless you were very much on the inside, you were on the outside. And here uh, there's this whole under other uh, industry of guys who are not really in the wrestling business, uh, but but are in a lot of ways, you know. I mean, you, you, you guys clearly, you know, knew what was up. We're, we're in on a lot of things. And I and I've talked to to uh, Stu and Bill over the years. Um, they tell me about how, you know, you'd kind of get a heads up about something if there was a, a title mm-hmm. change coming. They'd say, you know, be be in Atlanta on December fifth, whatever it is, uh, that that kind of thing. So uh, did, did did that resonate with you guys? That you know, we really uh, again have some some juice here. Oh, yeah. I mean, we felt proud. It was kind of fun. We were in the know. And again, it was very much um, a secret society back then. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you didn't dare spill the secrets. And even though I would, and what was fascinating is uh, I would go out to my friends and I'd tell them what I did for a living and they'd be a little amazed. And i say, well, you know, it's the, the matches, we make up the stories and the matches are fake. And they say, okay, but there was that one time when people need to hold on to they, it's, it's, it. Could, they won't let go of the fact that there's got to be <clears throat> some reality, some anchor, yeah. some truth in just one moment that they really believed. And it, it was interesting. Lil Maskless came um, up to the office once for lunch, and he, he wore his mask. He was just wearing his mask to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is this burly Mexican guy <laughs> with a mask. And he said, you know, Mel, you, you could take off the mask. And he said, but people will recognize. And he said, but you always wear a mask. So how will they know? But yeah. even, you know what? They were always in the character. They were always who they had to be. Um, yeah. And I think I think also there was a... This would be when I, was, I worked at Sci-Fi for many years, at Lispy for many years. And I ended up doing, working with the w, um, WE on um, doing publicity from, this, from the network end. And, I, and so, you know, I still, it wasn't day-to-day like when I was with the magazines. But, you know, I meet the wrestlers. They come to our events. And I was always struck by what good people they were, what nice guys, what nice women. They were, obviously, they weren't their personalities, but they were like down-to-earth and grateful, and gracious, and polite, and respectful, and it's just, it's, it was always so refreshing to yeah. see good people. And I think that also comes across in the business, that even if someone is a bad guy, or is going off the reservation, so to speak, there's still, uh, the essence of goodness mm-hmm. comes through, which in our yeah. society is becoming certainly lost. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got such a kick out of. Uh, I, I read a little bit about your background, and I thought it was so funny that all those years later, you kind of ended up back in, in the wrestling business in a roundabout way, working with sci-fi. Is this when they were doing ECW or SmackDown or, or both? SmackDown. <laughs> USA okay. had. Um, yeah. Had yeah, they had Braun. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Um, so, so. One thing I think is, is interesting, and I touched on it before, is you not being a fan back then. Did, did some of this come a little harder for you? I mean, was it an, an effort for you to um, follow uh, the business and, and watch wrestling and storylines and, you know, kind of keep pace with what was going on when, you know, if, if was it not for your job, you probably wouldn't be watching? Well, I got into it. I think I became yeah. a fan because I became a fan of the business and the people. And while I didn't have certainly encyclopedic knowledge of, of Bill After and Stu Sachs, who were just amazing, um, I did really, you know, have fun watching. And I there was a period where I watched a lot of Mexican wrestling because I thought mm-hmm. it was just so over the top. And, you know, as someone who um, writes fiction, I appreciated the entertainment value. I appreciated the creation of characters because you're creating characters. You're creating stories. And mm-hmm. I think it was very smart of... Um, of Vince Jr. to finally say enough. You know, let's, again, come out of the closet and let's say that this is, um, you know, entertainment. And yeah. not saying it's really sports. I think that was, that was brilliant. That was a brilliant marketing. This is, you know, certainly has paid off. I mean, that 
say this is successful as an understatement. So yeah, I enjoy. So I got I appreciated it from a newcomer's newcomer's perspective, and I love sports. And also, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of that, it, it doesn't matter that it's it's, it's uh, prearranged. These guys are really good athletes. Oh, sure. And these women are right. I mean, it's sometimes it's harder to fake it because you have yeah. to have more control. You have to pull a punch. That's it's hard to pull a punch. And the gymnastic quality and landing the right way and working um, in tandem um, physically in the ring to coordinate stuff, it's a choreography. This is not easy to do. This is not just, you know, old fat guys just lumbering and bouncing (laughs) for each other. This is a required athletic skill. Yeah, anybody who's ever, like, tussled, you know, with with their brother or friend or, you know, played wrestling or anything like that, you do it for a minute and a half and you're winded. And yeah. You need to take a seat. And, you know, the guy That's we right. just had as our, our number one wrestler in the TWI 500, our, our first Japanese number one wrestler, Kazuchi uh, Okada, um, you know, a lot of people are calling it the best. Actually, he had three matches this year that a lot of people are calling the greatest match of all time. Uh, hmm. One of them was 40, uh, 40 minutes, something like that, 47 yeah. minutes. Another was an oh, hour. Looks. And the shortest wow. hour was about a half hour. Um, so, and... You know, if that's not an athlete, I don't know. Yeah. You know what is? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think he deserves credit for it. So, so when when you um, went over uh, to Sci-Fi and got to work with WWE a little bit again, was was that sort of your your first sort of reintroduction to wrestling after all these years being away from it? And and if so, what was kind of your impression of how much it changed? Well, yes, it was. And um, when I when I joined Sci-Fi, I happened to mention to my boss that I um, have a wrestling background. They said, oh, good, you can handle it now. Because <clears throat> no one really wanted to deal with it. Because, mm-hmm. again, they have, you know, um, they look down on wrestling. And then it's, mm-hmm. it's, so I said, that's fine. And, yeah, we went up, and I'm going up a couple times to Stanford, to the WWE offices. Well, I think it is just such a big business now. And it's just such a modern business, I think, on that level. And I think um, that, you know, in, in the... Uh, GC London days when I was there, there was no marketing that I, I mean that I knew of. I'm sure that they were selling T-shirts, but it wasn't the um, and and there, again there was wrestling all over the world, but it wasn't this promotional juggernaut that it is now. I think that's what I was really struck by, just how slick it was mm-hmm. and how smart it was, and they really you know know what they're doing and and. and how they made sure it was, they, they continued to keep it geared toward families, realizing that the kids are, um, you know, the future audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so uh, t- tying into what you're doing now, and I do want to touch on that, uh, as I said, you're an accomplished author, novelist, uh, playwright. You've got a new show, uh, Saving Stand, that's at the uh, Dramatist Guild, right, in, in uh, New York. Um, yeah, we had and a, uh, What's that? We had stage reading at Saving Stand, and it went really well. And I was looking to put it up um, you know, in the theater. It's a very interesting story about um, magical realism love story. About two yeah. best friends in their 60s, and when one suffers a stroke, and his best friend thinks he could hear him talk, and the healthcare worker who's with um, Stan thinks she can dance with him. So it's about friendship and love and greed. And uh, then I have a new novel coming out in, on March 1st called The Mound Over Hell from BHC Press. It's a sci-fi baseball novel, actually. And um, it's set in 2098 after America has wor- lost World War III to radical Islam. And so we're surrounded. And um, baseball, which has been associated with terrorism and traitors, is, is doing its last season ever at Amazon Stadium, which is, used to be Yankee Stadium, but um, baseball, because of some great players coming back from the past, becomes popular again, only to be a pawn in a struggle between um, people who want a genuine world peace uh, and those who want another war. So it's kind of mm-hmm. an interesting, you know, to talk about like wrestling, um, you have world, wrestling is world building. You have a whole mythology. You have a cast of characters. You have storylines which go beyond just that match. Well, when you're creating speculative fiction and setting it in the 
dystopian world where America is really lost and we're surrounded, then you build a new world. And it's kind of fascinating to do that. I really enjoy that. So that'll be out um, again in, in March. Yeah, so great. That. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I, I, I think like you grew up going to uh, the Yankee games and in the bleachers in the Bronx. Um, yep. And uh, uh, you, you touched on something I wanted to ask you about, and, and that is, you know, how, how, if at all, did covering kind of the fantastical world of pro wrestling uh, help you later in, in your career, create fiction, writing plays, novels? Uh, do, do you feel that you picked up some lessons um, from sort of the way stories are told in pro wrestling that carried over? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a need to create strong um, characters. You have to have characters who are believable. You have to have characters who are entertained. And you have to have characters with a slightly poignant side. And I think when we wrote the stories, we, um, we always looked for the human quality. We never, we never wanted to make um, the wrestlers seem as, the, as if they were out of touch, as if they were not like everyone else. They were like everyone else except a little more so. And I think that's really important in all sorts of entertainment. You have to, you know, you watch wrestling, you watch, you read a novel, you watch uh, TV or go to the movies theater. You have to somehow identify with the characters. You, you have to have some connection to them. And I think that wrestling um, is, is a master at that. Mm-hmm. It's, look how it's endured. Look how it's grown. Yeah. One of the things that, that um, I think has been a problem for wrestling in the last, I guess, you know, close to 20 years now, maybe going back to, you know, what they call the Attitude Era and the rise of Steve Austin is that um, th- there's been such a, a blurring of the lines of um, heels and baby faces, good guys and, and bad guys. You know, those lines, I think, were a lot clearer when, when you were writing for mm-hmm. the magazines, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and you, you hear a lot of promoters saying, well, you know, this, this isn't the 1970s anymore, uh, and, and talk about anti-heroes and, and there are no clear-cut good guys and bad guys. And, uh, I think that's been, been a real problem. And, and maybe, you know, they, a good guy doesn't have to look like he did 30 or 40 years ago, Hulk Hogan, you know, sort of drink your milk, eat your, your vitamins. But, but I do think that there should be clearly separation. A guy who is, um, uh, uh, sort of driven, motivated, by all the right reasons and uh, putting up against somebody who is motivated by uh, all the wrong things, greed and cheating and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And within that context, you can make, you know, there's, there's all kinds of levels of, of, of gray. Um, but I, I do think you begin with a, a protagonist and an antagonist. Um, you, you have any thoughts about that? I mean, do, do you think there, there is room to move away from that model? Club? Well, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Um, because it was, as you say, clearly delineated. And when one of the good guys would seem to um, turn bad, it would be heartbreaking. And the fans mm-hmm. would be horrified. I, I remember once uh, Mr. Wrestling 2, remember Mr. Wrestling 2? Sure. Yeah. Um, he, um, he went bad, and people were like, oh, my God, how could two do that? Or when Dusty Rhodes would seem to turn bad, it was like, oh, no. So... You're right. It, it would have more of a, a dramatic, emotional um, uh, weight to it if someone betrays your friend. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I agree. I think it's more interesting. But also, in our society now, can we get? A, I mean, can you get away with it? Can yeah, you get I think... away with someone being, you know, that? You know, I think if you if you think like the Marvel DC universe, you could have that. <laughs> You can have the bad guys and the stronger villains if you can but just show how they became the villains. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like I Lex think... Luthor, you know, losing his hair in this experiment right. and then, you know, resenting uh, Superman. Okay, you buy that. But again, that's the, talk about, that's the point about the audience connecting and having some identification instead of some just bad guy coming out of nowhere. At least you can say, okay, I understand how that happens. You don't like the person. At least you need to show that but that requires, we live in a different, in a world where you don't have, there is no, in, in one sense, there are no grays anymore because we live, our society, everyone is just yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. 
you can't, you can't explain something like we used to. Um, take a point of view and say, okay, well, this is why this happened without being accused of embracing that point of view. Yeah. You have yeah. to just call people names, which in yeah. a way flies much easier back to the old days of wrestling. <laughs> right, yeah. WWE seems to be uh, much more comfortable these days and, and better at it, you know, creating um, villains than, than good guys, you know, and, and I think there mm-hmm. are a lot of great heels um, even wrestling now, guys like Kevin Owens, um, what they really struggle with is creating that kind of um, that archetype good guy, babyface, and yeah. um, and and in some ways when when they tried to present it, it's been rejected by fans. I mean, John Cena is probably the closest thing that that they've had to it, and he very much, you know, sort of the goody two shoes, fight for what's right, all all that stuff, and spent most of his career getting you know booed by half or, or more of the fans. Is it in, in in your line of work? Is that difficult too? I mean, to to portray uh, a good guy and find that sweet spot where the 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 reader, uh, the audience, sympathizes with him, likes him, but isn't he's not so kind of saccharine that they're kind of turned off by him. He's a wimp. He's a goody two shoes. Is that a, a challenge uh, in writing? Yeah, yeah. You have to um, create flawed characters. And it's as simple as that. Everyone, no one's perfect. I mean, look, Superman is boring. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. He's just boring. And I mm-hmm. think that's why, except for the, you know, the Christopher Reeve first couple movies, it's never really worked on screen. He's just, you need, when you write a character, um, it can't just be good or it can't just all be bad. You need to, we all make mistakes and we all do wrong things. And, and, but that requires a lot of grace. That requires, um, you know, Shakespeare believed in the opacity of characters, meaning that at any one time we're a lot of different people. And overall, hopefully we're good, but there's going to be moments when we're not. And I think that's what you have to create and draw in a character. And that's not easy. Yeah, yeah. And yet, that's what wrestling was doing. I mean, back when, when you were working, yeah. right? I mean, like a Bruno San Martino, a Hulk Hogan, they, they weren't really flawed, right? I mean, at least that was the, the idea. Ricky Steamboat, yeah. they were just good guys through yeah. and through, yeah. kissing babies, yeah. smacking hands of fans. Um, and uh, maybe, I, w- I wonder if it, that was too much in one direction, and now kind of um, the, the whiplash is taking it in, in the other direction. And, and one of the things that irks me the, of the most, and, and I'd be interested in your take um, in this, is, is the role of announcers uh, in wrestling in telling that story, right? Because the wrestlers are doing their business in the ring, and it's really up to the, the announcers to sort of narrate what the story is that's being told, and they're very often the ones that um, can help get over how how virtuous it is what, what the babyface is doing and how... Uh, despicable it is what the, the the bad guy's doing if he grabs the ropes if he grabs tights or uses an illegal weapon and yet even that's kind of gone away where a lot of the uh, announcers now and they're not even necessarily heel announcers we're not talking about Jesse Ventura or, or Bobby Heenan supposed babyface announcers um, will stick up for a guy who took a shortcut you know say well you know you do whatever you need to do uh, to win and sometimes that's even the good guy doing some of this so I'm not crazy about that. How about you? Well, but it's our it's our times. Where do we have heroes anymore? Look yeah. around. I mean, no matter where we turn, people who we respected and admired, we have to say, overlook. Oh, well, they're not as bad as the other one. Mm-hmm. You know, in politics, it's well, yeah, my guy doesn't think as much as yours. <laughs> the last election, I think, was really about. Yeah, you know. hate less. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I yeah. think, and you look at, you know, what's happening with all the sexual harassment. I mean, mm-hmm. cutting the cost, I mean, it's only going to get, you know, more and more news as more and more um, women come forth. Uh, so where are the heroes? Right, and right. So I the mean, question because, yes, yeah, so will the audience believe anymore that anyone is really that good? Mm hmm. And yeah. I think, I, mean, yeah. you are, you know, we, I don't think we have any innocence left. Uh, I really, I, I don't. We, people 
can't even agree on, you know, respecting the national anthem. Yeah. I mean, what, what, do, what does America agree on anymore? Where is the court? Where is the, yes, this is wrong. Yeah, well, you know, pedophilia, that's wrong. But, but, but not uh, if you're in Hollywood, you know, you're Roman Polanski and you get an Oscar even though you raped some 13-year-old, you know, was convicted of raping a 13-year-old. You know, the, the ability to overlook is astonishing. It's, but is it, you know, it... Yeah. I, I guess, you know, is, is it pro wrestling's job to reflect that world? Or, you know, is it the case that pro wrestling can create the world that they want to? So while there are no... Uh, again, kind of purely white hat heroes in, in the real world, they can make one, right? Could they? Or, or is that just sort of tone deaf for, for you know, America in 2017? I don't think, I mean, you can try to have people escape into your world, but how many people are good? I mean, they, you know, sometimes um, there's more and more TV shows where the characters are not all jerks. Mm-hmm. Or having nervous breakdowns and they're beginning to resonate a little more. So you begin to think that maybe people want that. People want a little escape. People, you know, want their, do they really want entertainment to reflect so coldly the world around them? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. There's an opportunity, as you say, for wrestling to maybe explore that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, Gary, I could talk all day <laughs> with you. Same here. Uh, on this, the fascinating um, anything you, you want to promote uh, uh, to help direct people to some of your work? Well, yeah, my novels are up on Amazon.com. And again, um, A Mound Over Hell, the first book in a, in a book series, the, the Dark Death series, that comes out in March uh, 1st. It'll be available everywhere, and I think it's going to be controversial, and people on both sides of the aisle are going to get mad at me. That's, good. that's what a writer. Yeah, does. then you do right. That's I mean, you're doing your job right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank. This was a real pleasure. Hopefully, we could do it again. Thanks so much thank for coming you. on. Absolutely. Thank okay. you so Take much. Care, Have yep. a great weekend. You too. Bye bye.